0: Welcome to IMTV. I'm Alan Keyes, and this is Let's Talk America. Well, today we're going to be talking with one of my favorite interlocutors on the program, uh, Mordecai Kedar. He is a professor and lecturer at Barilan University. He's one of the experts. Uh, he himself speaks Arabic, often appears on Arabic uh, language stations uh, uh, throughout the, the Middle East and the world, and he is an expert, among other things, Uh, on not only Israeli uh, politics and strategy and relationships but also uh, on the Arabs who live in Israel and those who inhabit countries uh, that Israel has to deal with. It's always a fascinating experience to talk to him Uh, but especially now that both our countries are dealing with the challenge of the coronavirus which has implications both for present politicking which certainly is relevant in the Israeli case um, uh, and which also is soon to be very relevant to ours. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alan Keyes. I just want to let you know that on a recurring basis every Tuesday, We're going to have a guest, Mike Adams, the health ranger. He's going to be joining us to talk about the whole array of challenges, both in terms of our health as a people and as individuals and our health as a nation. We'll be looking at those things through the eyes of someone who has thought deeply about many things and who has many great ideas to share with me and with you and with everyone who tunes in to Let's Talk America on Tuesdays when we meet with the health ranger to talk about how we sustain the health of our liberty. Welcome back. Now, those of you who follow the program know that we, of course, have been uh, following events uh, in Israel in terms of the elections that have been held there and so forth for several months. Uh, and uh, it came to various, a, at various sort of times, it came to a head. Uh, people thought that there was a government going to be formed, it wasn't formed, and so forth and so on. Then, after having their third election, and Netanyahu and the Likud moved into the front position after having been challenged in the second round a little bit. Uh, and we thought, again, I remember reading a headline that gave the impression, well, that settles it. They'll have enough to do uh, to put together a government. Turned out not to be quite enough. Uh, and so they have been going through a process uh, where the Blue and White Party uh, under Benny Gantz has actually been trying to form a government for the last little while. And it looks like right on this very day, uh, the deadline is going to be reached. Uh, and uh, President Rivlin has decided that he's not going to. Uh, ask, for, well, give him an extension of time, which he had asked for, uh, but there's a rumor that I've been reading about that he's not going to have Netanyahu form a government. Uh, so we are really blessed to have Mordecai Kadar with us today. He's uh, not only uh, an expert, as I say, on Israel's relationship with the Arab world, trying to understand uh, the Arab countries, their motivations, their culture, and so forth and so on, that obviously he's also somebody who's going to have a pretty good understanding of what's happening in Israel, happens to be uh, someone who as well is a good observer of the United States and understands some of the differences between our countries and some of the fundamental similarities in our, in our challenges. Anyway, I'm just looking forward to having a great time. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Professor Kedar, and, and it's good to have you back.
1: Thank you so much, Alan, and I'm, i have the great pleasure to be here again with you.
0: Well, tell me a little bit to start with about how you're seeing this exact moment, uh, because as it turns out, we seem to be talking to one another at a pretty pivotal moment in the present process, uh, but also I'd be interested in, in how you think things are going to go, and also the underlying question of what this tells us about Uh, the uh, what we would call constitutional process but uh, the underlying uh, is a a political process in Israel
1: well right now as we speak uh, we are on April 13 and here in Israel it is almost uh, 10 p.m. and Benny Gantz the head of the blue and white party has two more hours to shape a government uh, of course, with Netanyahu and the Likud, otherwise he cannot do it. And um, and they are still have not yet agreed on the uh, you know the agreement uh, of shaping the government. And there are all kinds of possibilities ahead of us, and nobody really knows what will happen within the two hours. There are all kinds of uh, ways to get out of this situation. Whether we, they'll agree within the two hours or not. Uh, if not, we, uh, the Knesset will have another 21 days to shape a government. Otherwise, we are going to fourth elections within a year and a half. Well, and, uh, and, and everybody tries to avoid it. And uh, we have to wait and see what will happen in the forthco- forthcoming two hours and 21 days, maybe as well.
0: Well, it looked there f- right, uh, well, it wasn't right after the election, but for a moment there, after Gantz was given the mandate with the backdrop of the unity, really, amongst Israeli people in the confrontation with the coronavirus. It looked as if that was having a political effect that was going to bring Blue and White and Likud together. Benny Gantz even made what I think is, is a kind of uh, interesting and in the context sort of impressive decision that he was going to allow the breakup of the underlying coalition of Blue and White in order to seek a unity government. Uh, Is the failure of that to work so far due to really serious issues, you think? Does it reflect something uh, that's really unbridgeable? Why didn't the unity factor win out?
1: Yes, and and this is what people don't understand, that here uh, there is something very, very big and very, very important is at stake. And what do I mean? Uh, It's not even the matter who will be the prime minister, whether Netanyahu or Gantz. These are things in the margin. The main issue of which the uh, next government will have to deal with is actually the form of the democracy here in Israel. And for this, I have to give you a description of what happened here uh, during the last 25, 26 years. Uh, In the beginning of the 90s, a Supreme uh, Court, the Supreme Court under the leadership of the Supreme Judge Aaron Barak, Started the process, which was very slowly, but very surely implemented by the Supreme Court, which created the situation where in Israel, we don't have any more division of authorities. Because usually in democracies, you see division between elected legislative authority, executive authority, which is the government, Mm. and the judicial system. Uh, And there are usually parallel to each other. Here in Israel, what started in the beginning of the 90s is that little by little, the judicial system became more and more supreme to the other authorities. To a degree that for some 10 years, the Supreme Court has the authority or appropriated the authority to judge everything in the Knesset, means in the Legislative Council, and in the government. Mm. Actually, what happened is that the judicial system is above the two other authorities. Mm. And this situation uh, is under debate because the people here in Israel for many years already lean to the right. They are not progressives as it is in liberal uh, circles. They are much more nationalistic, religious to a degree. And their worldview is much more conservative. Mm. While the Supreme Court actually represents the far left, the uh, ultra-progressive circles who were once uh, at the government. But the Supreme Court is the last bastion. And actually, this is what happens here. What will the the next government have to deal with is whether to perpetuate this situation where the Supreme Court of the leftists controls the whole country, which leans to the right, or the Supreme Court will have to give up on the, on the status which it acquired to itself appropriated to itself, which puts it above the other uh, authorities, mainly the Knesset, the elected sovereign or should be sovereign authority and the government. And this is what at stake these days.
0: Well I, and, I think it might be a good for, the, for our audience for you to uh, reiterate something you were saying. Uh, before the show started because in the United States we're kind of used to the understanding that the judiciary uh, at our national level is the, the president, the chief executive, the executive branch plays a role and then the legislature plays a role because they have to ratify the uh, appointment. So in essence you have the two other branches having a role from time to time in shaping the personnel are going to be serving on the court. That is not the situation in Israel, right? I mean, the, the, the lawyers, the legal beagles, the, the profession uh, from which uh, the judges come, uh, they, they are sort of self-selecting, right?
1: Well, not exactly. We have a committee which is supposed to elect the judges on all the levels, from the Supreme Court to the uh, local court. This committee, is comprised of representatives of the government, the court itself, the Knesset, and the Bar. And the uh, meaning of this committee actually uh, will tell you who are or what will be the nature or the culture of the judges who will be elected. And this actually will shape the uh, judgments of this situation, of this uh, system. However, the Supreme Court has a very heavy influence on the bar and on some representatives either from the government or the Knesset. So what happened through the years is that this committee could not nominate any judge against the will of the Supreme Court. Hmm means the supreme court made sure that all this all these supreme judges especially are cloning of each other perpetuating the same kind and nobody succeeded to penetrate this system because of the makeup of the of the committee now with a new government this thing is also challenged And these are the questions which the next government and the Knesset will have to deal with, because here in Israel, don't forget, we do not have a constitution. We have a series of basic laws, which are more or less a constitution incomplete Mm -hmm. because of various reasons Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, changing these basic laws is very hard yet doable. So through the basic laws, which the majority of the Knesset have to agree upon, Uh, we means the people want to change the mechanisms in a way which will enable the Knesset to be liberated from the grip of the Supreme Court, while the Supreme Court wants to hold on to this grip on the neck of the Knesset on one side and the government on the other side. and this is actually the main struggle of the next Knesset. Of course, we have the coronavirus, we have the hmm. economic uh, 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 crisis as well, when we have it in big time. But this means this struggle about the, how the Israeli democracy will function, whether a democracy of three separate authorities or a, a, a what we call we call it bagatzotocracy, means Mm. uh, the supreme courtocracy, Mm -hmm. if I can use this term. And this is actually how Israel should uh, look at itself in the uh, coming uh, couple of years.
0: Well, one of the things that I hadn't realized, but as I've watched the process over the last uh, year or so, I have learned, uh, and, and, and it's given me a little greater appreciation for one of the features of the American Constitution, I found it a little disturbing and I wonder um, why there hasn't been a problem with governmental stability before this time because the system seems to work in such a way that the mere accusation against the Prime Minister there's an expectation that that's sufficient to have him step away from his role Um, and that seems to be very dangerous Because it it seems to be in line with something you encountered, I encountered years ago when I was studying Machiavelli, in which uh, a system that has some popular element can degenerate into what essentially becomes uh, government by accusation. So the mere accusation then alters uh, the ability of a government to function. I think that's very dangerous. Uh, one of the advantages of our, our system in America is that until he's actually convicted, the President of the United States is the President of the United States. In any given situation, he wields the full power of the executive and can deal with the emergency. Uh, but if you put a question mark behind that authority, isn't that very dangerous uh, for the survivability of the country?
1: Well, don't forget that uh, since a year and a half, The Israeli government, under the leadership of Netanyahu, is working as an interim government. A government with a a budget which is by law uh, every month is one of 12 of the last budget which the government had. means Mm. they can function to a large degree, uh, even dealing with crisis. However, uh, this coronavirus crisis here in Israel is much bigger than what a one of 12 of the budget last budget can deal with and now they are in a very urgent need to have a new government new Knesset functioning and a new budget in order to face at least the economic ramifications of this uh, of this uh, uh, crisis and this is actually what pushes both sides Netanyahu on one side and Gantz on the other side to sit finally together and to decide to shape a government Gantz, uh, in order to do this had to sacrifice his his uh, party because his party was actually a conglomerate of three parties who which went together and together had some uh, quarter of the Knesset now after he wants to after he expressed his will to sit with Netanyahu two of the other parties left him and he, he is now with like a third of what he had uh, means the the pistol, if to say, which he has uh, in his hand is much smaller now, and of course he can join Netanyahu and make a government. Yet his credibility and uh, is is a much in de- deterioration compared to what it was like a month ago, when people still believe that he will never sit with uh, Netanyahu. Mm. So if people understand that in order to face the coronavirus and the ramifications of this crisis, they have to sacrifice some of what they believe in, of course, in the in the Likud side as well. Yeah. And uh, to sit together uh, to see how together they can row uh, with a boat forward uh, in, in spite of the current, which is very, very powerful.
0: Well, I, I think people have a tendency sometimes to see governments... Uh, lasting falling policies and everything entirely hinging on the discussion of issues and all that I'm afraid I've been struck by the last in the last uh, several weeks by the fact that personalities play an important role because it kind of shocked me that Benny Gantz would be willing on the one hand to make the major sacrifice of the dissolution of the party that uh, he had successfully uh, put together um, on the basis of what appeared to be finally in the final analysis a disagreement over Judea and Samaria and things that uh, seem not just because of the coronavirus but also I think because of the consensus that seemed to transcend those two parties uh, that was con- that that is fundamentally concerned with both the sovereignty and the survival of Israel uh, was that due to personal factors or was that really about Uh, some fundamental difference on this particular issue of the fate of Judea and Samaria?
1: No, no, no. In the the population, there is a large, I I would say majority, uh, of support to annex the Jordan Valley Mm. to Israel, because people understand that without this valley, we are exposed to all kinds of negative things which might happen in the East, whether in Jordan or in Iraq or in Iran, and we definitely need this area uh, for the security of the country, Not, very few people here in Israel doubt it. The problem is uh, how you do it. Um, people are afraid actually that the Supreme Court will get into this question and nullify the decision to annex the Jordan Valley because, uh, to, to, because after the, this revolution, of uh, the Supreme Judge, uh, Aaron Barak. Today, the the Supreme Court allows itself to get into every single question, even when it comes to attitude or or how Israel uh, uh, manages itself in the Middle East. Even that, you know, it's something which uh, Americans cannot even believe. Hmm. But uh, today, not today, already 25 years, The Supreme Court made this slogan, everything is judgeable. Everything, I mean, every decision of the government. So people are afraid that even if the the government decides to annex the Jordan Valley, somebody will go to the Supreme Court to appeal against it, and the Supreme Court will uh, nullify it and will cancel it. So here you see how things connected to security, and the borders of the, of the country actually are connected with this question of who runs the country. Is the Knesset and the government or the Supreme Court? Hmm. So these struggles are intermingling with each other.
0: Do you think that this also is a reflection now? Because one of the things that characterizes the way the US Constitution puts things together is that the executive is chosen on the basis of a separate mandate from the legislature. It's a separate mandate, you go to the people and you elect the president and that executive power is then invested in that one person. Uh, the, The legislature then takes over a judicial role in terms of judging the performance ultimately of the president and is the branch of government that in the end can then threaten to remove him from office if you have the right kind of support. Uh, But that gives the executive a certain um, magnitude of both initiative and perseverance in policy areas uh, that then requires, usually the assumption, I think, is you have to go back to the people, ask them for a bigger mandate in order to challenge those policies. Um, And you can't sidestep them simply by going to the court because American presidents have, from time to time, looked at the court and said well you made the decision enforce it and of course they have no enforcement power so he's asserting that it's going to have to be referred to the people and the court doesn't really have a public base right It has to work through the legislature um, so the executive has more in the short term or over a short term it has a firmer stability it can't be easily the exec- chief executive can't be easily moved right um, okay. is that something that has well, to be remedied I don't, I don't somehow, because Israel is a parliamentary system, there's a closer relationship between the legislature and the executive, but that seems to have offered the judiciary a chance to get into this role of playing the tyrant.
1: Well, your description of the American uh, system is very good, but don't forget that because of this system, the results are might, might be like pendulum. Mm-hmm. Because, let's say, what we remember, one one time you have uh, Clinton on the left then you have Bush on the right then you have Obama on the left now you have Trump on the right so what are the Americans are right or left (laughs) you never know okay so this is a pendular system which goes from extreme to extreme here in Israel the system reflects the people much much better because if the Israeli population for many years already, leans to the right. So these are the almost constant results in the Knesset. And you can see the the the, uh, the uh, right-wingish parties together shape a government. That's and right. This is, what Netan- this is what made Netanyahu for 20 years well, a prime minister.
0: We're down to the so wire this, on the first segment was, here. Um, we're down to the wire on the first segment. I want to pursue that a little bit more. Uh, to talk about how it affects stability in both countries, because I think it's an interesting comparison, right after we get back from this message. Hi, I'm Alan Keyes. I just want to let you know that on a recurring basis every Tuesday, we're going to have a guest, Mike Adams, the Health Ranger. He's going to be joining us to talk about the whole array of challenges, both in terms of our health as a people and as individuals and our health as a nation. We'll be looking at those things through the eyes of someone who has thought deeply about many things and who has many great ideas to share with me and with you and with everyone who tunes in to Let's Talk America on Tuesdays when we meet with the health ranger to talk about how we sustain the health of our liberty. ...discussion that is, I think, a chance to think through, given the different perspectives of Israel and the United States, but given their common commitment to try to maintain governments that are reflecting and representative of the actual state of the will of the people as a whole, right? And and I think it's fascinating, uh, Mordecai, that we are seeing on both sides, I think, there's an element of instability that's introduced by by the different way in which the systems are reacting to the need to consult the people and reflect who they are and at one level it seems like the people have a somewhat more direct influence on, or can have it, on what government is doing, right? Whereas in the United States there is a certain uh, sense in which the chief executive can plot a policy and maintain that policy over a time when the public is shifting and, and you don't see it necessarily a change in policy that's been aggravated by the way by the fact that the law that was passed late 19th into the early 20th century that give the bureaucracy a certain route that is harder to shake uh, has created a tacit ideological alliance that now is able to continue to influence things pushing in a certain direction no matter what the people do and the courts have become a focal point it seems to me in both countries of an f also of an effort to supersede the will of the people so that how the people are feeling at any given moment isn't going to decide the situation this can be good in one sense because it keeps erratic things from occurring but when it overrides the the uh, will of the people over the long term you can actually get into a situation where you've actually overturned their self-government right Um, or endangered the existence of the polity because you're weakening the administration of government and especially of security Um, and it's working itself out in both countries but I think it's working itself out in different ways if I can put it that way how important then is the question of individual leadership in Israel and how would you compare it to the United States
1: Uh, well uh, here in Israel Uh, Don't forget that the challenges which we are facing are, in my view, way, way much bigger than what the Americans are facing. Hmm. First of all, the neighbors. Look at who are your neighbors. The Mexicans in the south, the Canadians in the north, the dolphins in the east, and the barracudas in the west. (laughs) Okay? Who are our neighbors? Our neighbors as Hezbollah in the north, ISIS and the remnants of ISIS and Jordan in the east, uh, the jihadists of Sinai in the south, and the west, okay, the west we have a sea, okay? Only, only the neighbors can give you a good impression of what the challenges which Israel has to face compared to the challenges which the United States have to face from the neighbors. Secondly, don't forget that culturally, although both countries are countries of migration, don't forget, Mm. yet uh, Israel is migration of Jews. And this is what makes the difference because here, you know, we say we Jews, every two Jews have at least four opinions about anything. Okay, so we have the culture of debate We have the the culture of not agreeing with each other. This is in our blood, and you cannot push anyone to the margin. Look, in the States, after elections, the new president, any new president, changes most of the administration, down to the lower, lower levels of many things. Here in Israel, you cannot push anyone to the margin, although he lost the elections. He needs to have some role in running the country because you want him to be part of the system, because you don't want to alienate anyone. And here the system, look, in the, in the Knesset, I think today we have like 10 parties, 10 parties, unlike the situation in the States, which have bipartisan system. Here in Israel, the two big parties, the Likud and the and, 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 uh, uh, blue and white, have like a little bit more than half of the parliament. The other half of the parliament or almost half of the parliament are small parties, which anyone who needs a coalition without taking the other big party needs them all. Means he has to, to give anyone, and everybody has his own ideology and his own line and agenda. You have to give them some pieces of government in order to implement what they want to push forward. Mm. This is why it is much harder to shape a government, yet when you have a government, it represents usually the majority of the people as it as they are in the street. And I think that this system fits our culture, uh, the Jewish culture, uh, better than the bipartisan system in the United States of America. Don't forget also that we have here 21% of the population Arabs, who are not Jewish, and they have their own agenda. Hmm. Most of them are Muslims, and we have to give them also some part in running the country. And yet, you know, they are in the Knesset, and their voice is being heard, because even the Arab representatives of the Arab population, although they usually do not take part in the government, they are in the committees of the Knesset. They are taking part in running the country although they are not in the coalition of the government this is how it works in israel and i'm proud that this system works and it works already for more than 70 years with the problem of the of the judicial system which took uh, uh, some kind of liberties which the law does not give them and they appropriated this liberty to judge even things which are being decided upon in the Knesset, in the, government, in, in the government and in the parliament. So uh, this system I think works very well, although we don't have any constitution or constitution per se we don't have. We have a set of uh, basic laws and so far it worked not bad at all. And I do hope and I do have a reason to believe that this system can continue forever because we Jews always decide not to agree yet we live with each other try to live peacefully with each other because the challenges which we Jews are facing especially from our neighbors are way much bigger than the differences between us
0: you know I think that's very perceptive because the the sense I get as I look at my my own country here in the United States is that that we are many In other words, uh, in Israel, I think you are looking at people who have a common sense of identity and different viewpoints. Um, In the United States, I think we are more and more people who have a fragile sense of common identity and therefore are tempted to think of themselves now as different people. And we also now have, of course, one major party kind of committed to what they call identity politics, Uh, which is to play on that difference of sense of identity in order to build their power by catering to that sense. But the danger we're facing, obviously, is that that's going ultimately to lead to a loss of any sense of our common identity. Uh, And some people are inviting us to surrender it because we're vulnerable to an appeal that, that I think is not quite the same, though it's still there culturally, for many Israelis. We're founded on the notion that somehow our American identity is derived from our common identity as human beings. And this then draws us from nationalism to a kind of humanism, if I can put it that way, that we feel burdened by as a vocation, but that also, at some level, is the key to our ability to make all these different peoples from different places into one people. Am I making sense? And the temptation therefore to give in to an elite that is luring us away from our national identity on the promise that we will fulfill our human identity while doing it by a politics that undermines our, our sense of common identity, reinforces our sense of particular identities and asserting them, uh, which then obviously interferes with our ability to maintain our institutions because that requires at the end of the day a common sense of justice a common sense of right um, and a common sense of fairness and the meaning of words like equality in person um, and I think we both of us are therefore facing a problem this is what I believe has contributed in different ways to the rise of the judiciary because they are the people who are supposed to help somehow solve these differences by reminding us that a common rule has to be respected, Uh, and yet they have become more and more ideological in both countries in their sense of what constitutes that common rule. It's as if uh, they are, instead of being servants of what we have in common so that we'll respect a common sense of justice, they have become servants of different ideas of the identity. And both countries are then in danger of seeing some fragmentation in one way or another, in the way they go forward. Um, Here's the question, though, uh, to get away from that a little bit. Countries that are going to, I think, by their very nature, struggle and constantly having to deal with that, how do they then deal with foreign countries and maintain their existence in the face of repeated attempts to overcome their national identity? Um, because I think there are assaults on the national identity of the United States uh, that end up expressing themselves as assaults on faith and a common understanding of justice and there are assaults on Israel's national identity uh, that have been there throughout the period of the diaspora and and, and, and efforts that then have to balance assimilation with uh, the assertion of of Jewish identity Uh, but assimilation in a sense then is the same as the siren call of humanism in the united states it ultimately could pose an existential threat to the common identity of the nation as a whole Um, uh, i I, am not going to ask you to tell us how we can solve our problem but how do you see israel in a practical way solving that problem without creating a without tolerating rather a judicial tyranny
1: well, uh, you might know that uh, during the last year, uh, Israel had the legislation of the Nation Law, uh, which is one of the basic laws, uh, which defines Israel as the nation state of the Jewish people, the Hebrew as the language, the flag with the Star of David as the flag, the national anthem uh, with the words about Judaism is uh, the national anthem of the of the country. Means. This, uh, this uh, basic law was meant to uh, strengthen the Jewish identity of Israel as the state of the Jewish people. Um, th- this law actually was an answer to all kinds of people from within and from the outside who tried to challenge the nature or the characteristic of the state as the state of the Jewish people. We understood these challenges from within and from the outside, and this law, this basic law, is actually the answer of the state to this uh, uh, to these challenges. Mm. Yet, not so not surprisingly, there are appeals an, against this uh, law, and the Supreme Court, which culturally is against such a law. Allowed itself to look into this law means to maybe come out with a verdict that this law uh, is unacceptable. Hmm. So here you see again how the Supreme Court intervenes in questions which uh, are the authority of other authorities. In, in, in this case, the, the legislative authority. Hmm. Okay, so. Here we are, we are in a a constant struggle for our Jewish identity and our our Jewish state. Uh, Of course, look, the the problem today is the trend is to erase the national, uh, I would say, characteristics of states. Until the coronavirus uh, crisis erupted a couple of months ago, uh, Europe actually erased the borders in Europe in america also if you talk today in america or at least until two months ago if you talked about the nationhood or nationalism uh, you you sound like somebody from the what 60s or 70s or uh, what, what do you mean nationalism we are in a global world where everybody no mm. no borders anymore everything is globalized um, what I mean, nationalism will lead you to Nazism and to fascism. Well, no, who wants the nationalism? And this is actually the, the progressive uh, attitude to nationalism. Okay, maybe now the coronavirus actually puts the world back to, to the national boundaries. And you can see it very well in Europe and maybe in other countries as well. We never gave up on our national identity. We Israel, we remain sticking to our culture, to other, to our uh, land, to our, to our uh, 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 history, to our religion, to to extent if you are religious. So we did not become part of this globalization or the ideological globalization which the world went through until the coronavirus erupted a uh, 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 couple of months ago. So I, I, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what will be like in a year or two from today, uh, when and if, hopefully, this coronavirus being defeated by the world, will it come back to to erase the borders or, and to promote the globalism, the globalism uh, to a degree that national identities will be erased? Or shall the world continue to define itself as states based on nations, or nation states, and so forth. I, I, I'm i not a prophet, I don't know what will happen, but we, here in Israel, we do want to keep our identity, to keep our nationalism, um, I'm not talking about anything uh, extreme, I'm talking about the situation, yeah. the identity, yeah. and uh, our right to preserve and to maintain our identity uh, within the boundaries of our state, of course, without uh, reducing the rights of, our, of the minorities, especially the Arab minority, which is mostly Muslim, here inside Israel.
0: Well, one of the things that intrigues me is that you know, we have a concept of federalism that was born early on in the United States that was supposed to allow us to maintain among the different states of the Union, which were still called states, and still retained responsibility for the exercise of certain important powers of sovereignty within their borders, the most important of which was law enforcement and the determination of the judicial process within the state. But it had to be uh, governed by a certain respect for the basic premise of the society, which is that all persons are entitled to a certain kind of treatment and of course there was a dispute about that, we had a civil war to resolve that dispute in a certain sense but it still continues to this day. The idea that we would somehow reject nationalism altogether wasn't part of the country's conception because though we saw humanity as one we also stressed I think the founders and others would have understood that a diversity of human possibilities not only must be tolerated, but it's desirable because it gives you greater opportunity to explore those human possibilities and makes you stronger. At one level, I think our society proved that that can be correct. At another level, we're now in a crisis in which we are no longer confident of maintaining that dualism so that you have states within a state that nonetheless have amongst their people a common national identity. I think your case might be a little harder, and I wanted in the last few minutes to talk about that because the coronavirus, it seems to me, has been a unifying element among Israelis, a chance to show the common identity, to explore it in the self-discipline and cooperation of the people. There have been problems, just like we have now, about how you deal with the, uh, the cooperation of the religious spirit with the, the edicts that are necessary to maintain that, But that, I don't think, has affected the fundamental ability of folks to come together, except in one case. And that is, of course, in the case of the Arab population. Uh, Given the nature of the folks who you're facing as Israel's neighbors and their continued commitment to the adversarial relationship, um, what effect is that going to have on the ability of Israel to both maintain a foreign policy that deals effectively with what is still a threat and yet reaches for a kind of ideal of cooperation that's going to be necessary to preserve the peace internally, but also it seems to me is preferred by a lot of folks in Israel, even as it's preferred by a lot of people in the United States. We want to be part of a common humanity to have some respect for what that means. How do you see that working itself out over the course of the next few years, both in respect of the coronavirus situation, but also in terms uh, of the policies that are now uh, in the offing uh, that can either aggravate or help to resolve uh, that sense of ongoing enmity, which I think in the coronavirus situation, there have been from various and assorted uh, points in the um, Islamic and Arab world, there have been a lot of nasty expressions about how, you know, they don't mind at all if Israel is wiped out by the coronavirus and things that suggested uh, that they saw it as uh, the, the continuation as a as in a tool of enmity. How do you deal with that? <laughs>
1: well, not only this, uh, we hear accusations that uh, Israel and the Jewish people, of course, are behind the coronavirus as well. Mm. Uh, means that, uh, that this is some kind of invention of Jews in order to get rid of the whole world. Uh, we, we hear this in, in the Arab world, in our social media. We see it in all kinds of caricatures, which we, we, we can hear it uh, from all kinds of speakers who cannot say even one good word about Israel. And we are used, we are used to such a thing because these people are very, very much used to theory of conspiracy. Because if you know, the what conspiracy, of course, the, who are who are behind every conspiracy in the world, of course, the Jews. So this is uh, what do we do here? However, when we talk about people with logic, uh, they understand today, even in the Arab, the Islamic world, that the coronavirus, like many other dangers, do not know the difference between a Jew and a Muslim, between an Israeli and Arab between some, whatever your, 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 your skin color is, your height, your sex, whatever, it, it, the coronavirus doesn't make any difference between any people in the world. And if we are, as a humanity, if we are not united, you know, together we stand. Divided, we fall, even in front of dangers like a coronavirus. You know what, theoretically, let's assume that here in Israel, we we find some kind of a vaccine against the coronavirus, which works 100%. Let's assume, let's hope. So what, what do you think? That the Arab world will not use it? Or Muslims, even those who bash Israel day and night, they will not use this Israeli uh, vaccine? Excuse me, you know, in every cell what? phone, in you know- every cell phone, there are dozens of Israeli patents that's right so what do you think that in the Islamic world they don't use cell phones because of this
0: well I think that that we saw an example of that on the coronavirus because the BDS one of the leaders of the BDS movement right the anti-Israel sanctions movement made it very clear oh well if they come up with a virus everybody will use it we have no problems with that no objection to that and I think it's one of those things that reminds us that part of a crisis like this is defeating the enemy, whether it's coronavirus or whatever. Another part, however, is the part that can, if we allow it to do so, remind us that a bond ties human beings together that transcends all our enmities in the midst of such an existential threat so that the threat itself becomes a kind of gift if we allow it to be one for us to see past enmity to the point uh, where we stand on common ground. We've run out of time, but I think that's a perfect note on which to end this discussion, in point of fact. Uh, hope you'll join me again soon, because this situation, and I love the discussions with you, because they get into things in a way that then allows for a conclusion that maybe one didn't see at the beginning. And that's what I like the show to do. Uh, so I appreciate it, Mordecai, very much. Thank you for coming on. Um, and. I hope we'll be together again soon to continue this because I think that that point that we make at the end, that at the end of the day for all its complexity, our common humanity does represent a possibility as of common danger, so of common hope. Ponder that uh, as you're thinking back over this program, which I always invite you to do, and then join us again here at Let's Talk America.